Hey, I'm Fred Eichler, and you're listening to the Everything Eichler podcast brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And today, I am on the phone with C.J. Davis, the president of Montana Decoys. Hey, C.J., thanks for joining me today. Man, you know me. I love doing a podcast. This is awesome. We can just ramble and talk about all kind of crazy stuff. I'm actually shocked you invited me back after having me on one time. I figured I was one and done. <laughs> No, man, that's what's fun about you and me is not only are we friends, but, you know, we've hunted together quite a few times. We goof off. You're that guy I like to get together with and have lunch with at the, you know, at the shows. And, and heck, we call each other all year just to share hunting stories and to talk about the kids or crazy experiences that we have. Yeah, I know you just like eating lunch with me because you con me in the paying every time. But, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I, I try every single time. Man, <laughs> I, I want to give people a little bit of a background because here's one of the things that I uh, that I love about you being at the helm of the company is that you're an avid outdoorsman, an avid hunter. You came out here to Colorado and, uh, you know, not only do you sell – Montana decoys and and work with a lot of wholesalers and retailers and distributors but you're actually out in the field using the product and I love that you came out here you had a Montana decoy you went up in the wilderness area and you used it to bring a beautiful six by six bull in and shot it with your recurve so we've got that you know that kind of connection as well but I thought that was really cool that was a uh, fantastic hunt because that was the first time um, we were prototyping the RMEF cow elf decoy so to go out and the first time I got to use it somewhere to have that kind of luck was fantastic for me. It was just a, a great hunt, great situation. I mean, you do a bang up job on those drop camp deals. That's just a great way to elk hunt for somebody that's like me and stubborn and doesn't like taking advice from everybody else and wants to do it their own way. It's just perfect. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love the way you put that. Well, and it's funny you brought up. RBF. I just wrote an, an article actually in Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, but we were doing a, a show the other day and me and Tim and you know, Tim, but we were talking and I said, you know, what's crazy is I remember back when Turkey decoys first came out, that kind of dates me a little bit, but you know, that was, <laughs> you know, and it was funny because when you first started putting those out, turkeys were just running into them. And then have you noticed over time, it, you know, you could put up something that looked like a buzzard. And a turkey would run right up to it. But now... Man, those, those guys in Alabama were putting Coke cans on sticks with black trash, black trash bags around them and killing turkeys back in the day, you know? Exactly. And it's it's so funny. But now, try and get away with that now with a mature gobbler. Oh, you got to think about it. It's like everything, you know, grunt calls when they first became so available. You could just go out in the woods and grunt and have tons of success. Can calls, all that stuff. And now you... Once they've been exposed to it for a while, you just have to put a little more thinking behind it. Yeah, you have more strategy. And that's to me, that's what's still awesome about using elk decoys. And I tell guys, I'm like, man, this is still, I mean, I know you guys have been at it for a while, but I tell guys, it's still kind of in its infancy. I mean, I'm still hunting bulls on public land and private land, have never seen a decoy at all. They don't, they're not used to it. They're not accustomed to it. They're not leery of them. So, you know, you get that right elk, uh, Man, it can be it can be the most incredible close encounter you've ever had. No doubt, no doubt. And sometimes antelope to me seem that way. They're like the perfect gateway species for somebody that's never hunted out west, but they want to give it a try. Because you know, I think your your antelope hunts, which you're probably booked out until 24 now, but 
they're saying hunts are fairly reasonable. You know, a guy from the East Coast can come out there, he can see some Western terrain, he can hunt in it, he can have a super unique animal if you get an antelope, because what else is like them? And man, do they respond to decoys at the right time of the year, too? Oh, you're 100% right. Every, you know, that's what's fun is... It, it, when you hunt with a decoy, it's it just adds so much to it. And I tell guys, you know, and, and I know you won't be offended by this because you know it's true, but, you know, a decoy doesn't work all the time. And it's not 100% like, oh, just get a decoy. You're going to go kill an elk or kill an antelope, kill a turkey. But, by gosh, just like I don't go duck hunting anymore without duck decoys, and I don't go turkey hunting without a decoy, man, it's, it's rare that I go out elk hunting or any of my guides go out hunting that they don't have a, an elk decoy with them and the same thing with antelope man when when they start rutting and you see it turning on and you get that right antelope man you can have some unbelievable experiences with them it's crazy and you know it seems like to me as you know we talk to a lot of different hunters and you do too but guys that are just starting out hunting and they're they haven't been around animals enough yet it seems like the better you can read an animal's body language you know, you learn from how they interact with their environment as well as the sounds they hear. It just makes you that much better when you do use that decoy. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm the president of a decoy company, but I don't set one up every time I go hunt somewhere. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. You just have to, it's, it's another tool in your box to help you be successful, but it's not the ultimate tool that's always going to be successful. And I'm, I'm skeptical of anybody or anything that would try to persuade me to believe that one tool works all the time anyway. Right. Oh no, I I agree with you, and that's a perfect that's a perfect way to put it, and that's kind of what we were we were trying to give. Me and Tim were trying to. I'll give you the background, you know, how it came up, but we were actually trying to help people out and giving them some realistic tips, like you know, for for new guys that are going out elk hunting, because there's so many guys that want to try it every year, and and so many guys go away disappointed. Um, but I'm like, man, here's some tips. I get so many questions from people. What do you do to, to harvest an elk, or you know, what's what's a few of the best tips you'd have for me? And, you know, you know, as well as I do, CJ, some of them, I was like, don't worry about a bugle. I only use one, maybe 5% of the time. Get good with a cow call. Call really soft. Don't call as much as you think you need to. So basically call less. Have a decoy with you. Try rattling antlers. Don't forget about tree stands because just like whitetails were when we first started hunting them out of tree stands, man, elk are naive to it they're not walking around the woods like a lot of these educated whitetails looking up at the trees for hunters elk just aren't used to being hunted that way so you know we talked about you know elk sense you know using some you know conquest all the little tiny things that may make that little give you that little five percent advantage they all add up yeah and hunt where there's a lot of elk that helps too oh you know what that's a really good point because I've hunted really hard before where there were no elk and I haven't done worth a darn. I, I had a guy call me a couple years ago, CJ, no joke. And he was like, man, he said, I, you know, everybody's telling me it's the peak of the rut and I don't know what's going on. I have, I just can't hear one elk bugle. And I'm like, have you seen any fresh tracks? He's like, well, maybe not fresh ones. I'm like, well, I hate to break this to you, but if you're not hearing any bugling and you're not seeing a lot of fresh tracks, then the elk aren't where you're hunting. <laughs> like, it's just, you need to move. <laughs> you, need, you need to pack up camp and head to another area. That's just the way that's going to roll. But that's You know, it's it's so fun, and I, I feel bad for guys, CJ. This, this is off topic a little bit, but a lot of people don't know this. Like, when the Game Commission even lists stats, like, you know, 
oh, most Western states fall between 12% and 18%. I've done a lot of research. So believe it or not, CJ, these are accurate numbers. But between 12 and 18% success rate. Well, that sounds all fine and dandy. And guys are like, oh, man, 12 to 18%, that's not too shabby. But in Colorado, for example, those statistics, those include private land hunts, guided hunts, where guys may be paying you know, up to $25,000 on some, you know, incredible piece of private land. It includes limited draw hunts where a guy may have put in for 28, 30 years to draw a tag where there's only two tags given and both of those, both of those guys that draw the tags kill an elk every single year. So it includes (laughs) all these other things and it's still only 12 to 18%. So I tell guys like, listen, if you just look at the statistics on public land, over-the-counter elk, it's probably about 2%. <laughs> like, that's what you're Maybe. looking at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know what's also interesting? And they don't, they don't promote this either, of course, because they want people to come spend their money in Colorado. But they say that includes bulls and cows. So that, that includes guys like me that are like, oh, man, I'll, heck, yeah, I'll shoot a cow. So guys hear that statistic. Oh, you know, I got a 12 to 18% chance. But no, no, you don't. You know, you, you knock the... You know, if, if you're after just a bull guy, you knock off all the cows off that, knock off all the private land, knock off all the guided hunts. Man, like you said, I mean, 2% would be high probably as your opportunity. So all these little things that can help a guy, tiny little things, you know, you know, setting a decoy up in the right spot. You know, one of the things I like I, from my experience guiding elk hunters and, and hunting elk myself is, man, that's circling. When they start to circle – and and catch your wind, you know, that's when it's like, man, she's it's about to be done. But in my experience, if I can show an elk that decoy, because they know they should see an elk. When they start closing the distance, right. they're yeah. like, I hear a call. And we've all seen turkeys do it too. And ducks even like, all right, I hear a call. I should be looking at something right now. And if they don't see it, it puts them on edge. It makes them nervous. And, and they tend to just, boy, I'm going to really circle wide and smell and see what's going on. But... When an elk can see a decoy and it looks realistic, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. And and to me, so like, you know, even the backcountry elk, like the rump, you know, the super lightweight one, I think it's only, you know, eight or nine ounces. I mean, when they can see that and go, oh, yep, there it is right there and it's walking away from me. I've had elk stop the circling because they think they're looking at another elk. It makes all the difference in the world. Even if it's just to pause them for a little bit to get a shot. Yep. And go back to what you're talking about with that success ratio. You know, you and I talked about this not that long ago, but look at how many more hunters are out there now, too. Oh, like, good point. Colorado is, is, is boasted the largest elk population of any state, which is awesome. But, you know, the hunter numbers just keep crawling up there. So at, at some point, you know, it just has to hit a wall. You feel like that they're going to have to change something or add more draw units or do something. It's just, it's amazing, and, and as a guy that makes his living off of hunters, it's great for business, but you want everybody to go out and, and, and have a good chance and be successful, and it used to be work ethic could define that. You know, if you're willing to hike three miles instead of one mile, or now if you're willing to hike eight miles instead of five miles, but it, it seems like everybody has gotten that into their head now, and they're not as scared to go back as far as they used to and, and push the limits more, so you really have to be smarter and just like you're saying up in those up in your odds one or two percent by being smarter about it man it's more critical now than it's ever been to be successful 
Oh, hundred percent. And and like to your point, um, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's pretty accurate. Hunter numbers and license sales are up over twenty percent across the country. I mean, that's the numbers everybody's been telling me. It's nuts. I mean, you know, between COVID and meat prices going up exponentially in the stores, I just use the word exponentially. I hope you're impressed by that. That's a five syllable. But, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot more people are going out in the field and, and going, you know what, I'm going to try and shoot a deer or an elk or an antelope this year and, you know, try and put some meat on the table that it's not going to cost as much. And have fun doing it. Oh, well, exactly. And if they ever added it up, it probably costs way more than buying a steak. At least, mine, <laughs> at least I know mine do, but that's, that's, just, that's just the way that rolls. But, you yeah, know. You're going to spend it anyway. You might as well justify it somehow. There you go. Spend it on something good. But let's talk about some of the things that, that, that make Montana decoys different, and let's talk about some of the things that, that you guys have on the market. Um, you know, because I have you on the phone, and I think it's fun for people to learn and, and hear it straight from the president. But some of the things that I like is, and, and I don't know if everybody even realizes it, but Montana decoys are actual animals. And when I say that, I mean, it's a picture of a real animal. It's not a human's rendition. It's not a painting. It's not somebody's estimate of, well, I think they kind of look like this, or they kind of have shading, or their eyes kind of look like this, or their ear position is close to this. It's an actual photo of a live animal. You're right, and I would uh, I would tell you that that with printing changes and technological advances, back when Jerry started the company in '96, you know he was he was printing that picture as good as he could. But what we can do now compared to what we did then, I mean, gosh, some of the some of the um, decoys in our line now just look so much better than what we could have done back then, just because of the technology and the printing processes and the things we've learned. But you're still 100% correct. Every decoy is built off of a photo of an actual animal. So it's not, it's not made up. It's not hand drawn in any way. It's an actual animal. And, you know, Jerry starting the company as an elk hunter, he wanted something that was lightweight. It was realistic and it was quiet. And if it's not lightweight, you're not going to carry it and it has to be portable. So something could be light, but still awkward to carry, but we make all hours where they fold up. So, you know, you can carry them in your pack, strapped on your pack, between your back and your pack, however you want to do it. But those are kind of like our, our tenants for making a product. It's got to be a real image. It's got to be lightweight. It's got to be packable and it's got to be quiet. Well, and the packable's huge, and you brought up a great point there. And because, like we talked about earlier, it doesn't work every time, but there are so many situations where I've been out and gone, oh, my gosh, I need a decoy right now. I'm out in the sage or I'm out in the edge of this meadow. I'm calling. This bull's coming in. He's looking for me. i got to show him an elk. And I've literally popped elk out laying on my back or on my stomach, slid it, <laughs> slid it out of the pack, popped it up, raised it up in a meadow, and had the animal go, oh well, there's the elk or the deer that I was looking for and come right in. And I, I know I sent you, I think you saw the, the video of me shooting the uh, Sika blacktail buck this last winter, literally at four yards. I mean, it, 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 we saw the buck on the hill, me and Sean dropped in the grass. I popped out the, the Montana decoy. I lifted up that deer and it just, it, it literally came all the way down the mountain right to the decoy. It almost impaled itself. Oh, it was awesome. It was it was such neat video, and it was so neat for Sean, who was videoing, to just see it, and he was like, oh, my God. I mean, he he was blown away, and I've had a few experiences like that, and I, w- 
I want to share one. People probably crack up. This makes me sound like an idiot, but remember when we were experimenting with like the Trixie, the whitetail doe, and I had yeah. kind of the prototype, yeah. and I called you. I don't even know. I don't even know if you were up. It was probably like seven in the morning, so you probably weren't. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I like teasing you. I know you farm and everything else too. So, but I still like picking on you. But you know, we had this prototype, and I told CJ, "Man, let me go see how it works." We've got a ton of white tails, you know, down here on the East Ranch along the river. I'm a. I want to try some different designs and and see what it what it looks like. And man, we went through all kinds of photos. CJ, remember you sending photos, and we were looking at different things back and forth. And oh it, yeah, that was a great process. It really was. It was fun, and and yeah. and, and the wish mm-hmm. list and what we wanted, and and we kind of knew, and we finally found the perfect picture, and and you sent it out to me, and I went down and I set it up on literally one of the alfalfa fields, and it was right at light. You know, you could just see a little bit, and I set it up, and I drove my truck around because I wanted to get up top with a spotting scope and watch and see how deer that came into the field reacted. Well, I got up to the top. I look out in the field, and it's down. And I'm like, what in the heck? I pushed it in there. I I, I don't understand how, how it fell over. So I got my truck. I drove back down, and I was like a little frustrated because now it's getting lighter, you know. And I'm like, golly, I can't believe that. I said, I set the decoy back up. I get in my truck. I drive around. I'm coming past the rifle range, and I kind of look over, and this buck comes running out of the tree line, mounts it, and knocks it to the ground. And when it falls <laughs> to the ground, the deer spooked. So I had to call CJ. I'm like, literally, I'm like. He's not even going to believe this. So I got to call CJ. I'm like, you're not going to believe what just happened. And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really believe it. I want to see it. So I go set this decoy up. I drive back. I get the video camera. Remember the pictures I sent you? This. Oh, yeah. Oh. It, it took you like five minutes to quit laughing to tell me the story when you called me. I thought you were having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> it was hilarious. I was so excited. I was beside myself because it was just, you know, I figured it out. It's like, oh. It didn't fall over. The buck knocked it over. So literally, I would set it up, and these bucks would run out. They'd see it out there, and they'd run up. They'd run up, and they'd knock it over. So I got the video camera, and I got my still camera, and I remember taking pictures off my cell phone of my still camera and sending them to you. So we're just, I mean, it's early in the morning, and we're laughing, and I'm telling you how incredible it is. But that was that was another experience. It was just, it was just amazing. And then I ended up shooting my biggest buck, you know, on the, you know, on the ranch out here with it, which was just, just a really, you know, I, it was one of those that I really could go, I wouldn't have shot that buck if it wasn't for the decoy because it was what caused those bucks, the does to swing over and come by me in that big snowstorm. And, you know, there's experiences like that to me make a decoy worth it. Whether it's one out of five, one out of 10, whatever it is, when you get that animal that you know you wouldn't have gotten without it, 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 it makes it special. And that, that Trixie decoy, which it's, it's on the website, it's live, people can buy it now, but that decoy was something special creating it in the process because, you know, we worked with you and, and Jerry and I, we went back and forth on a lot of stuff, but when we were testing that thing, man, we just had some, like Jerry killed a really beautiful buck in Montana with it. You killed one in Colorado. I might have missed one in Alabama with it. There's a there's a lot of new stuff that went into it, and, and you know, and the southeastern deer hunters don't like using decoys. They just have this prejudice against them. But 
out of all the decoys I've tested and played with in my life, that one, for some reason, I, I think we just hit on the right toes. It just has a calming effect or something. But, man, I had more encounters, positive encounters with it with southeastern deer than any of our other decoys. It's a, it's a neat, you know, that whole process, you being that involved and having that <laughs> crazy. Uh, oh, that first experience. With, yeah. It's just awesome. Makes you makes you really appreciate it. But like you say, it, you know, we're, it just makes the hunt that much more special. And to have one that actually can help you, it's just, it's cool. Well, Very cool. And I love it because you know me. I'll sh- don't get me wrong that one buck i shot was huge that came into it but i'd like to eat deer like you i'm not you know you know and it, mm-hmm. i i just like to eat them and i like to shoot them and you know i make no apologies for that but what i love about the tricks he does it'll bring them it'll bring them all in <laughs> you know, yeah. from from yeah. the from the spikes all the way up they'll come in and check out that decoy and uh man i have just uh, it's just a fun one and you know i have fun playing with some of your some of your different products like the and I, I think we've got that up on the uh, on YouTube video for people that are listening to the podcast and want to see it. But even last turkey season, Tim's over here. Tim, is that on the YouTube? The like Trent's when we use that Wiley Tom and we had those turkey after turkey coming in to Trent. Oh yeah, I think it's on our YouTube. But we, uh, I took Trent out with that Wiley Tom turkey decoy, and I put those feathers in the fan, and that was fun. And it, you know. What was fun, honestly, is the whole process. You know, you know, putting the feathers in and taking Trent out. And Trent, like a lot of young men, like your son too, I imagine he's probably not the most patient. Maybe he is, but Trent's not. Trent's like me. He, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, he sits for a couple seconds, and Trent's like, "All right, what are we doing now?" I'm like, Trent. You know, we're going to sit here for 13 hours. He's like, what? (laughs) You might as well pull every hair out of his head one at one by one. You know, he's just like, there's no way. But I, I took him out with that Wiley Tom, and he was like, now this is my kind of turkey hunting, Dad. Because, like, we would we would cruise, hear a bird answer, and set it up. And Trent was so freaked out the very first bird. I'm, I, I hate embarrassing him like this, but maybe he won't listen to this. But, like, the first gobbler comes running in, it just threw Trent off. Like, he's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, birds are coming in, and, you know, we got three birds swinging around to the left, and I'm turning the Wiley Tom, and, you know, Trent's spinning around, and then another gobbler comes up in front of us, and it was so close that Trent completely – now, don't get me wrong. I shouldn't – it It wasn't that he was – the bird was super close, and Trent's pattern was close, but he still shot like six feet away from it. Like he wasn't close. <laughs> he wasn't close to the bird. The, the small pattern had nothing to do with it. Adrenaline and excitement had everything to do with it. But this bird ran right in, and Trent missed, and he was so tore up. And he's like, "I'm going to get the next one." And then, man, I call in another one, and it comes running up. And Trent's like, "Oh my!" The adrenaline level for him, and watching his excitement level of fanning turkeys in, was was awesome and the one that we shot together i think it was the seventh turkey in a day and a half gobbler well jobbler you know jobbler or gobbler they came <laughs> they came running it that's i call most of them it's rare i'll use jake they're almost all jobblers or gobblers oh yeah yeah but the one that came running in and he shot at it oh I can't remember if it was four yards or seven yards, but it was super close. It was just incredible. I mean, they come up around the rock, and, and it was amazing, amazing experience for both of us. But, man, those turkey decoys, you know, it it's amazing. I mean, it really is. You guys, between that and the, you know, the perfect pair, I went out and set out that perfect pair XD and the Wiley Tom for an Osceola turkey in Florida. I called you on that because I was so excited. 
Yeah, those Osceolas can be tough. They're not an easy bird to kill. No, I think all of them are tough with a recurve, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, I think I think they're all tough. But the video on that one was just it was just incredible. You know, and it was so neat. And it, you know, whether it was going to the Wiley Tom or the Jake, I'm not sure because Tim was video on that, and they were coming right. I mean, right into it. And then that, that's where I learned that Tim could call with his mouth about as good as I can call with a slate call, which was a little embarrassing because I was calling. And then I hear this call, and I'm like, man, man, Tim, I, I don't want to give you a big head or anything, but I sounded like really good. Well, thanks, man. You know, and Tim, Tim doesn't brag about himself at all. You know, he's just like, well, you know, thanks, man. I'm like, what, what are you using? He's like, my mouth. And I'm like, I know you're using your mouth. Dingleberry, what <laughs> what kind of diaphragm call are you using? He's like, I'm not using diaphragm. I just I just know how to call with my mouth. I'm like, are you kidding me? So he's like one of those Indiana Jones, Daniel Boone dudes that just whips out a perfect hand call with his mouth purring and the whole nine yards. So like we were calling back and forth a little bit, and I'm like, Tim, listen, um, you know I really enjoy calling, and, and I know I'm a good caller, but listen, I want you to get a little more practice, and want you just go ahead and call a little bit. <laughs> so like the bird got so close, you know, and I'm like, man, and Tim's just talking to him, and it was just really neat. But it it comes right in, and I shoot it, and we were just ecstatic because it was just a pretty cool deal. But you know, I love using antelope, elk, turkey, whitetail. I mean, you know, the the song dog. There's another one you guys have. We don't even talk about that much, although. I don't want every coyote hunter using it, to be honest with you, because <laughs> when it works, that's another one. You get a smart coyote that's been called in a bunch, and he hears a call, but he doesn't see something. I mean, guys have learned that because so many guys are using decoys now in conjunction with their caller. And by a decoy, I just mean something flipping around out there in the brush or you know something as simple as a feather tied on a string you know, out there bouncing around. But for a coyote, when he hears it anymore, a lot of the dogs are getting educated enough. They've got to see something, too. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that, that song dog you're talking about, that's another great example of if you go back and look at the coyote we had before that, how much more detail, how much more realistic this new one looks, the song dog looks, compared to the original Kojo. They both work, but that song dog is just two notches ahead, in my opinion. Oh, well, and that tail. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm yeah. going gonna to put yeah. a lot on that tail because that tail looks so real too. But, man, you know, I've taken that out, and we've had a blast. I mean, coyotes see it. And what's neat about that is it works all year. You know, coyotes are pretty really territorial when they start breeding too or getting together. So, you know, and even in the winter as far as their areas that they're they're hunting, they see a coyote in their area, they're coming to it. So I've had some some pretty amazing experiences with, uh, you know, with the song dog, you know, when I'm coyote hunting – coyotes that have been pressured before but I, I guess i want to circle back to something that you know i know is super important to you guys uh because i see it on a lot of the literature and i know it's even i think it's even printed on there is is the safety issue and i think we'd be remiss if we didn't you know what i mean bring that up because anytime you use any type of a decoy whether it's a decoy you set up in front of you and you're in a blind um and you've got your decoy out in front of you um you know setting up smart setting up safely setting up in areas where you know you're not going to have an issue um you know a lot of times elk hunting if i'm on public land you know i'll set that decoy in a position where an elk could see it but to get to it he's got to come past me but that way i'm not yeah. putting myself in a bad situation because i've called in 
and had hunters sneak right up to my decoy. You know, when, when, you know, the whole thing I love about it is that it is realistic, but I've had hunters literally come in and go, oh, and you see them go into stalk mode, like, oh, look at that. There's a cow right there. You know, it's just, it's hysterical. But at the same time, it's it's something that I think everybody needs to be cognizant of and, and be very careful. And, you know, you know, you got to take safety into your own hands, just like firearm safety. I mean, the guys can put warning labels on, on, you know, every firearm there is out there, but you still have to be careful and you have to take your own safety, you know, to a degree into your own hands and, and know what you're doing. Absolutely. And if you're not sure, then, you know, leave that decoy in your pack. That's the safe option there. Um, and always like turkey hunting and stuff like that. I like the way you described it where, you know, the elk has to get past you to get the decoy. You're kind of setting yourself up where you, where you can't see you're protected by a tree or something, but where you can see, you know, hopefully you'll spot another hunter and can alert them before they get in range or get where they see the decoy and, and can cause you problems. But you definitely want to err on the side of caution when you're hunting public ground or anywhere you don't know who else is hunting it or who else accesses it for right. sure. And, and we haven't even talked about the joke side of the decoys because I have a field day messing with clients sometimes like you know <laughs> you set that up i got a guy coming this year and i hope he doesn't listen to this podcast either but like he's got to get super excited we love having fun with him but we're all excited to set a decoy out we're even going to put a rack like stick it to a tree where you can only see part of it and we're gonna we're gonna put that we're gonna put my decoy out there where you could just you've got a good shot at the kill zone and we're going to video him shooting, and I'm going to say, you missed. And, like, we're dying to see how many shots he's going to take before he realizes he's shooting at my decoy. So we're, we've already set that up on him this year, so we cannot wait. So he's probably not smart enough to listen to a podcast, so I think we're probably safe. But he, uh, it's, we, we, we got that set up. So you can, have some, you can have some fun with those rascals. It's nice to see the professionalism that you treat all your clients with. I thought it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, man. I like to have a fun time all the time. That's, but that's what's fun about you coming out. I mean, you know, you've shot, well, you shot a turkey out here with your recurve as well, using the turkey decoys. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. That was back when we were testing this perfect, if you remember that. See, that's what I love about some mm. of the things you guys do. And I don't think, I, I don't know if people realize that enough. The It's not. You guys don't just print one up. Just like the Trixie Doe when we were talking about it, you guys go through a lot of testing. There's a lot of infield testing. There's a lot of looking at all kinds of stuff, printing things off, and, you know, looking at it before before anybody ever goes out in the field with it, before they go to a Bass Pro or Cabela's or wherever else or, you know, or, or, or buy one from you guys or, or one of your many dealers, that, that decoy's been tested. That, that look, that pose, that ear position – uh, you know, you guys have gone through and done a lot of research and, you know, I've been excited to be a part of that. And honestly, I didn't have any idea when you guys first started doing that. I was like, wow, there's a lot of R&D. Now it's fun. I think you guys are just goofing off, but there's a lot, you know, like, oh yeah, we're going to have to test this decoy for a year, Fred, before we uh, actually put it on the market. And CJ and Jerry are going to have to go hunt all these cool places, make sure it works. But, you know, it really is, hey, whoever's buying that, good job. But, I mean, the fact that you guys are doing that is is neat to me. You're not just, you know, ah, let's throw something out there and, and, and we'll wait till we get some feedback on the field on how it works. 
we'd have to change accountants about every three years because they stop believing we need to spend that much on R and D after a while. But yeah, it's a great it's a great problem to have. <laughs> you crack me up, man. Well, talk pe- <laughs> talk people that are that are listening through because you guys have a really cool history, you know. And you mentioned Jerry. Um, one one thing that's neat to me about a podcast is you learn things that you didn't know. Um, so talk a little bit about the history of the company, if you would, your involvement, because you've been involved in the in the hunting industry, the outdoor industry, and so has your wife, really. I mean, but you know, talk a little bit about um, the history, if you would, um, and run people through that because I think it's kind of neat. Well, Jerry, Jerry McPherson is the guy that started it, and it really was one of those, you know, ideas just stemmed from hunting frustration. He was, uh, he's originally, uh, he was hunting in Montana, and uh, that's where he lives, and he was in this area that was fairly open. You know, everybody thinks of elk as big timber animals, but it really just depends on where the elk are, and it was pretty open area. And he would go and call and he, you know, get interactions. He was on elk every day trying to get one with his bow and they just wouldn't come close enough. And he'd go back to his truck and in his truck, he had one of those, uh, uh, windshield things you would put in to keep the sun from cracking your dash. You remember? Yeah. And, and he had one of those and it just, it just spurred an idea. in him. so he goes back, crafts up this thing because Jerry's that guy. Like, if you crashed a plane in Alaska, he could put the plane back together and fly it home for you. He's just very <laughs> mechanical. Um, and he took a bandsaw blade and built the original frame with it and sold it himself and stitched it over there and, and had some success with it and, and realized what he had, so he started Montana Decoy. And it was built off of a, the very first elk decoy was, was what he started with from those bandsaw blades and piece together fabric that he had and you know he, he built the company up and um like you said i've been in the outdoor industry for a while and actually he was a client of mine when i worked for an advertising agency and we did some work some pr stuff and some ad stuff for him and jerry and i got to be friends and he decided that he just wanted to step back a little bit and focus on more of the fun stuff than the business stuff so um I was able to put some folks together and, and we purchased the company from him and he's still a vital part of it. I mean, I talk to him every single day. Um, we talk just as much about hunting as we do products and business and everything else. And I, I like to tell people that he's the smart one because he took the job where he gets to hunt more and I have to deal with all the sales calls and all that stuff. But he's definitely the father of the company and his influence, you know, is, is in everything we do. <clears throat> and he's just a great guy, a great hunter. But that's kind of how the company started and, and how I got involved in it. I think I've been doing this now for eight or nine years. And it's just a really interesting process. You know, decoys are they're kind of different than a lot of other tools you use because there's, you know, you, pr- you pick where you put them up. You pick when that animal sees it. And certain species, you know, I feel like you have to think more about it and work in shows and talking to people the one common theme I get is, is nobody blinks an eye using the decoy for turkeys or elk or waterfowl or stuff like that. But everybody's hesitant about using one for whitetails and and everybody believes that their deer are just so whippy, you know, in their certain area that they, you know, they won't ever come to one. And I think, you know, there is some truth to that. Whitetails are very, very high strung animals. And if there's a lot of hunting pressure, they are definitely, uh, you know, keep you on your A game. But I think a lot of folks set those decoys up just like 
every magazine article picture you've ever seen, it's out in the middle of the field and there's a decoy. So the deer that are coming to the field anyway, there's suddenly a decoy and everybody wants the deer to walk right to the decoy to have the shot. That's just how they think about it. And I've just evolved to where I put the decoy to influence their movement to me. Right. So that may mean the decoy is way behind me where they don't normally go, but it'll cause them to drift closer to me. And if you're hunting, you know, with a recurve and a great big ag field somewhere, you kind of have a pretty limited range. So you need to do what you can to get those deer in front of you. And just using that decoy is something to influence their travel pattern is how I look at it. I don't stake out every decoy and expect to shoot the animal right when it gets nose to nose or nose to butt with the decoy. You just have to think it through a little bit more. And that, that side of the business and helping educate people and being involved in product development, it really is a, a great great situation for me i'm just dumb luck got me here but i really do enjoy it well and i love that you're one of those presidents that's used it on everything i mean like i said you've you know you've taken a ton of animals and a ton of them over decoys like i said you've you know you've taken you know whitetail with me turkey with me um elk with me you know a lot of different species and and using that decoy is a big part of it but man i'm gonna tell you i understand people being a little bit hesitant but once they see it or once it works, it's like anything else. It's like rattling or grunting. And, you know, the rut during the whitetail, you know, whitetail rut, shoot, I always have a decoy around. Man, it's unreal. I mean, when you get those bucks cruising, I mean, how many times have you seen them cruising out there? And I mean, you know the deal. I've had them run completely across a whole cut field to run up and check out my decoy. You know, like, oh, there's a deer. And when those bucks are cruising and they're looking, man, it's unreal. And, you know, I'm that guy that, I take it. I take it the next level, and I'm going to refer it back to turkeys. When I first started using a turkey decoy, I had one turkey decoy, and I set up one turkey decoy, and it worked great. And then as the years went on, turkeys started to get pretty smart, and now it cracks me up. Watch a TV show or watch watch a guy that hunts all the time. How many decoys do they have out? You know what I mean? Like, man, I, you know, you know, I watched Mike Waddell. You know, I, I think he had four the other day. You know, he's got turkey decoys all over the place. So, I mean, and I'm that guy too. I'm like, man, I'm, if one's good, you know, as they start to get educated, two looks more realistic. And then, man, three, like I said, on that Osceola in Florida, we had the perfect pair out. We had the Wiley Tom. I had three decoys and that gobbler came right up to the jake on the perfect pair and i shot him right there and he was man he was going to the jake and right next to the you know right next to my wally tom checking them both out you know aggressively but it was a big mature bird but i've used multiple elk i've had as many as three elk decoys out i've used you know multiple antelope i've there's been a lot of times i've gone you know what uh, one just may not cut it. I, I want them really to have that. You know, how often do I go out and shut out one duck decoy? <laughs> you know, now yeah. I've done yeah. it and I've shot ducks over one decoy. But let me tell you what: when I put a spread out, boy, I drop a lot more in. And I, you know, it's one of those things. And I'm not t- telling everybody you need three decoys, but you know, I make a living hunting. So you know, guiding clients to me, you know, if I have three elk decoys out and it's going to make an elk look into that field and come out before dark, before legal shoot light, because it feels more confident because there's other elk in the field already, man, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I think know, that's just part of what you were saying earlier about, you know, like back in the day, you could have a Coke can and a trash bag and turkeys would come to it. And, you know, they just get educated under hunting pressure so much that you're just taking it to the next step, you know, to keep, keep ahead of them a little bit using more, more decoys when most people don't, that just puts you ahead of the game. 
Oh, and you know, and you know, sense such a big deal too. You know, I you know, I tell guys I I have this conversation all the time. Like, man, keep that keep that decoy clean. You know, leave it outside. Don't bring it inside the house, or maybe don't put it in the back of your truck, which I've done too. But you know, like <laughs> you know, you know, mine's had blood stains on it and everything else. But I'm like, man, I try and keep them, you know, kind of scent free. And I'm I'm a firm believer, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I I use scent a lot. I, you know, and I. I like Conquest scent. That's me. There's a bunch of different scents out there on the market. And I tell guys, whatever, whatever scent you're into, use it. But the great thing about moving that decoy away from you and putting some scent on it is you can keep yourself from getting winded. And, you know, they may swing in to go check that decoy, just like some of those whitetail bucks were doing, you know, with me with that Trixie doe. Like, ooh, let's scent check this one. You know, just like you watch those bucks do that in a field full of does. He's going to scent check all of them. He's going to go up and see who's ready. And by putting some estrus on a whitetail or putting some elk scent on an elk decoy, you know, man, it makes a huge difference. So personally, you know, I don't just use the decoy. I use the decoy in conjunction with scent, and that's helped give me that other little, you know, everything may be only a 1% or 2% percentage more, but it gives me a huge advantage doing that as well. I think you add calling to that mix too. I mean, you've got sight, yeah. sound, and scent there. I mean, so that deer's crossing the field. He's not even looking at you. You bang the horns together. You grunt at him. He looks. All right. He's heard the antlers or the grunt call or the bleat, whatever you threw at him. And then he sees the decoy, and then he cuts that decoy because he's coming downwind to check it. And you got scent on it. It's just you know, you just every time he has a doubt, you've given him a reason to keep coming. It seems like. See, that's the key. And that's, that's the thing. And you brought up earlier, like how you hunt with a decoy and educating people. And I think that's the biggest thing, like anything is, you know, educate people about how to use it properly because they'll have more success with it. Well, and do you have a, speaking of success with whitetails, do you have a couple uh, little ones out there for me? Cause I'm going to be hunting with you here in another month or so. I know just about the time it's going to be getting nice and cool up there where you are. And you got to worry about being cold in the morning. You're going to come down here in South Carolina and it's going to be like 85% humidity and 93 degrees. Oh. It'll be awesome for you. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you know, definitely it's... don't come down here for big deer. So it's perfect for you, but I'm a little worried that that one buck I keep sending you pictures of, we call the Eichler buck. He, He's actually a four point now, and he may have aged out of being a deer for you. I don't know. Yeah, two by two is getting a little big. I, I showed you that little spike, <laughs> that little spike coos deer I took the other day in Arizona, public land, man. I'm all, I, but you, let me tell you what. Guess what I had for dinner two nights ago? I fried up some, fried up some heart, and it was delicious. So I like those. Those young I ones am, are good. I've not yet hunted coos deer, but tell me this: what does a mature buck? Who's deer where you were hunting? What is what does that deer weigh? Is that a hundred and fifteen pound deer? Is that a hundred and forty pound deer? I've never I've never shot a mature one. I have no idea. I can tell you that a little one's about seventy pounds. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, that's a great Some guy in Illinois is wondering how you can hit a deer that small. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's funny, man. I love it. That's, but it's you know. Oh, another thing I want to say this before we go. I got to go in a minute. I know you do too, but you know, you guys will actually. And I'm, I'm not putting you on the spot here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, you made a nil guy decoy for me. Um, I know you've made moose decoys, and, and you know, your guys will actually. If somebody calls you, let's say they want to, because remember, you made an oscillated uh, turkey decoy for me, and I shot an oscillated yeah. turkey with it, like. 
down in the Yucatan Peninsula. I was like, CJ, I'm sure these birds have never seen a decoy. I need an oscillated <laughs> turkey decoy. And you hooked me right up with an oscillated turkey decoy. And those guys were like, wow. I, I wasn't able to come back with it. They were like, uh, yeah, we need this. So I don't know how many they've shot now. Or maybe they're just using it to show clients at the other side of the field. Like, oh, there's one now. You know, <laughs> but, you know keep guys excited. But they – uh they love that thing. So are you guys still doing that? If somebody calls the company up, are you guys willing to make a decoy for somebody that wants one for red stag or something else? Absolutely. We've built, I mean, we've built zebras, donkeys, red stags, Cape Buffalo, Osceola, oscillated for you. I mean, all these things. And yeah, we absolutely do it. We, uh, they can just reach out to us through our website and we'll put them in touch. And Jerry's the one that kind of spearheads that, you know, if they can describe the, type of pose they're wanting we find the photo and build it for them Man. Uh, definitely something we do we're happy to help out sometimes it just doesn't make sense to you know add a cape buffalo to the decoy lineup so building several thousand of those i'd probably still have them 30 years from now but you know there are guys that want them so we want to help those folks out too heck yes man that's neat i'm glad you guys are still doing that well cj i could talk to you for hours we've, we've actually been on the phone for quite a while but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast with me and talking to people about some of the different offerings you have. And, and, uh, it's always, it's always fun talking to you, man. I, I really do. I appreciate it. And I hope somebody learned something. I love that Jerry came up with it because he saw a need for something to help him shoot an elk and, and it worked out so well, he decided to make it into a business. And I appreciate you, uh, sharing some stories with me, man. Thank you, man. Enjoy the time. I appreciate it. All right, CJ. I'm with CJ Davis, president of Montana Decoys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can check out our podcast brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Uh, We have a bunch of other great ones out there. Thanks again, CJ. You bet.